This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and at the risk of being redundant and repeating myself by saying some of the same stuff again, uh, over and over, uh, I'm going to once again talk about Pendulette. I'm telling you kids, what is a guy to do? Uh, I am a fan of Pendulettes. I think he's funny. I like the way he tells stories. I think he has uh, interesting opinions. I may not always agree with him, but I think they're um, thoughtful uh, and well considered and reasoned for the most part. Uh, I love I love his podcast. I really do. And it's if you've been listening to the show the last couple of weeks, you know that I've been having some problems with the podcast. I've named Penn a Dimland Radio Science Zero because he offers his podcast as a platform from which uh, fellows who make dubious claims about food and diet and veganism and water fasts, he allows them to make those dubious claims with not much of a skeptical pushback from him. And he had established himself as a skeptic after eight seasons of Penn & Teller bullshit on Showtime. Now, this is stuff that I talked about in the last couple of weeks. And last week I talked about his response to the pushback from having a fellow named Dr. Clapper on his show who made some claims that are scientifically dubious. Uh, Penn was called out on a, uh, on a blog called um, Respectful Insolence, which is written by a fellow that goes by the name Orac, but that's also Dr. David Gorsky. Uh, everybody knows that it's not a, it's a pretty uh, open secret <laughs> kind of thing and uh, Gorski also blogs on um, uh, what is it uh, science-based medicine uh, the guy is an actual doctor and he took he listened to the two-part episode with this dr. Clapper guy and he refuted a lot of the stuff that Clapper claimed and he was disappointed with Penn for not being skept- skeptical and for allowing this guy to have such a, an unfettered platform. And, uh, and also took Penn to task for you know, referring people to this guy. Penn has the disclaimer that if you get your health advice from a goddamn juggler, you're an asshole and you deserve to die. I think that's pretty much the exact wording. And it's the, it's the thing he says 
first off in his book called Presto, in which he talks about how he lost all that weight. And it's a vegan diet kind of thing. And it's a little nutty, and it's, it's very low-calorie, and it's, it's all that kind of stuff. He has lost a lot of weight. He's been min maintaining it. Uh, these are all things I've already talked about on other times, but, you know, I'm being redundant. <laughs> and he responded to the pushback, uh, and I said I didn't think he started very well because he set up a straw man. I won't go through You can listen to last week's show to get through, the, get through that. But he did end better by admitting he's a nut and he's willing to do this kind of stuff and it's working for him and it's there's other people it didn't work for and that's that's fine and i thought okay and then i the fact that i didn't listen to the interview and i still haven't listened to the full two-part interview uh i gave him half a point so he's not exactly a, a, a science zero because he's a science zero plus one half and that's not zero <laughs> well i'm taking the half point away because after his response show, the next two podcasts he post, posted were two banked shows, which means he recorded them some time ago to be played uh, at a later date when he needed some time off. And that's what he had just this past week. So he, does, he puts out a podcast on Sunday and on Wednesday. And the, the two podcasts were interviews with Dr. Joel Furman. Who this was the second time he's been on Penn's show, and from what I understand, and I, I didn't listen to the interview again. I have to be honest, but uh, I have a Facebook friend who did listen to it, and he announced on Facebook that he sent a message to the Penn Sunday School saying, "I can't listen to you anymore," and and he gave his reasons. He's upset about it. He enjoyed the show, but he says, "I I can't uh, your your support of unfounded." claims is 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 disturbing from somebody who's supposed to be a skeptic and you know you you're you've got a blind spot you're you're you everybody got a gree gree right and i got into the conversation and he also brought up the fact that and this was something i was going to talk about last week but i didn't get time to and so i had it in the notes to talk about it but um I didn't get to it, but he, this Facebook friend of mine, mentioned it in his, in his comment on Facebook, which garnered a large, long thread of people giving their opinions and their ideas, and I'm included in as one of those people. And he he brought up the fact that Cybabe, uh, uh, Yvette D'Entremont, I think that's how you say it, or D'Entremont. I'm not sure exactly how you say her her name, but uh, she goes by Cybabe, and she came to public attention by um, calling out Vani Hari, the food babe, on her uh, on her pseudoscience bullshit. You know, her food bullshit. You know, it's just don't eat any food that you can't pronounce. She was the one that freaked out when she found out that there are similar ingredients or the same some same ingredient in the bread at Subway that is in yoga mats. And I thought, oh, what do you mean? Di, uh, dioxygen or di... Uh, well, water. <laughs> I can't think of the term. I should have written it down. Uh, dihydrogen monoxide, that's what it is. Is that what you saw? Which is water. Because I'm sure water is used in the manufacture of yoga mats. In some capacity, water ha is used. <laughs> 
whether it's just to clean up, <laughs> but it's used. And it's used to make bread. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And Vani Hari just, she got scared about that. And she scared a lot of people. And she convinced Subway to take that particular ingredient out of, to make sure it's not in the bread. It, ugh. And so the Psy Babe blogged, she came to prominence when she blogged about the food babe being full of shit. And she got notice. So she's been a science communicator, and she's been blogging about food and diet and nutrition and things like that. Now, her bona fides are that uh, she, she has a bachelor's degree in theater and chemistry, and she's got a master's in forensic science. I think that qualifies her as being a scientist. And she would know how to uh, read studies and understand reports and these, you know, surveys and such, the, the scientific studies. And she's because she would have had to write stuff, I'm sure, about that. And that's the kind of stuff. So the reason I bring her up is because uh, the fellow who posted on Facebook reminded everybody that the Psy Babe was a guest of Penn's on his podcast. And this was after the food thing, going vegan and all that, you know. And he's not strictly vegan. He'll eat meat once in a while. He'll eat dairy once in a while. But it's the rare and appropriate is what he calls it. Or his his his, his, his diet guy, uh, Ray Cronice, we'll, we'll say it called it. And he had her on as a, as a two-part interview. And I think it was a banked show as well. And he got a lot of pushback for his treatment of her on the show. He was far more skeptical of her, and who, who was she was challenging some of the claims about the diet that Penn is on. She was challenging some of the science behind that that the science doesn't uh, doesn't uh, um, doesn't hold it up. And remember, when I talked last week, I said that Penn even admitted that this Clapper guy that 80% of what he talked about in their interview is probably bullshit. And yet Penn still sides with them. So he he was much more on the uh, attack toward the Psy Babe than he was with Ray Cronice and, and Dr. Furman and Dr. Clapper and combined on what I listened to. Now, I listened to Dr. Furman's first interview on there. I listened to the whole thing and I went, this really, boy, this really sounds wrong and then I saw the response on Facebook by that one Facebook friend of mine he responded and there were other people that said what's this going on with Penn what's you know this this whole thing is just a it just we were we, you know skeptics were scratching our heads and and so this week uh, the Facebook friend reminded me of the side babe treatment and that's right so when Penn got back from that he said well you know uh, people were saying I kept cutting her off and since talking over her and they they did a little demonstration when the show started by talking over each other and uh, you know just to say that, you know see by, by doing it more so than they than they would normally do now if you do a, a show with more than one person, on the show, you're going to have over talk. You're going to interrupt people once in a while. It's going to happen. Now, the better one, the better shows are. Uh, they minimize it as much as possible, and they're better at keeping from interrupting people. But it's going to happen. On my show, I interrupt myself, but it's always just me. So, I you know, it, he reminded us of that. So I made some comments where you know. Uh, 
now this Facebook friend decided that he was done with Penn Sunday School. I'm not done yet, but I'll it'll be I'll be thinking about it when I hear the response uh, to Penn uh, or the response by Penn to the I'm sure the pushback he's getting for the Joel Furman stuff because Joel Furman came on there and what I understand is he's making all sorts of claims about you know essentially boiling down to if you eat the right foods you'll never get sick you won't get cancer. And that's bullshit. I mean, yes, uh, eating some foods and avoiding some other ones can prevent certain cancers, but not all cancers. Not all cancers are the same. It's it's there are different cancers. I, I often mention the movie The Shootist with John Wayne. It was his last film, and 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 Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart plays a doctor in there who tells John Wayne's character that you have, and he put it this way: you have a cancer. You have a cancer. And I always thought that was odd when I was a kid. Because I didn't realize that, you know, there are more than one types of cancer, and you know, there were more than one type of cancer, and so having saying you have a cancer is perfectly correct. You know, I don't know which cancer he had. They didn't say, but that's perfectly correct to say you have a cancer because there are different forms of cancer. There are different ways of dealing with it, different causes to the cancer, and there are different ways of preventing it. There is a cancer that you can prevent by getting a vaccine. The HPV vaccine, you can prevent getting that getting cancer that way, uh, but you know. So he makes these claims, this Joel Furman, and one and part of the reason why he was on the show was he was promoting this book he wrote. And and what I've learned from listening to skeptical podcasts, including the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, is that you don't do science by book. That's not the proper way to do science. When people do that, they when they when they take their scientific notions whether they're pseudoscience or or fringe science or eh, not well-supported science, and they go to book, meaning they send it out to the public. Well, the public doesn't have the scientific background to understand whether this is true or not. They, they say, well, there's a scientist who wrote this book, and I guess it's true. They, they, that's, they bypass the whole scientific process of, of review and replication and all the kinds of stuff that, that real scientific... Uh, theories and hypotheses and ideas go through uh, in order to, you know, to be uh, uh, shaken out as uh, as false or to be verified as true, or for as true as we can, as the evidence can allow it to be discerned to be true. Because it's never ever settled. It's always you're always looking for more evidence, and evidence contrary to a particular scientific theory could change that theory. But that's not what they do. See, he, so he wrote a book. Anyway, the Cybabe was mentioned on the uh, uh, in that thread, and none other than the Cybabe came in and commented on my comment. She commented back, back to mine, uh, saying this. I, this is what she said, and I quote: uh, She was talking about appearing on Penn Sunday School. She said, the worst part of the backstory with my appearance on Penn's podcast. Uh, he started one episode of our podcast by saying, you and I argued about Homeland Security, something like that. We'd never argued about Homeland Security. Teller and I discussed my job at uh, for a Department of Homeland Security contractor backstage once for a few minutes. I don't recall Penn saying much. 
It was not an argument. This job was nearly a decade ago. My security clearance expires next year. And most of it was classified. He never told me we'd be discussing this before the show, just launched into drilling me on things that I had to figure out very carefully how not to discuss given the sensitive nature of the information. Two of the people, or two of the other people in the recording booth that day were appalled by his behavior. One of them was a writer for him and told me they'd never seen him behave that like that towards someone on his podcast. And Penn and I had been friends for years. Someone just doesn't does start this line again. Someone just does not like being challenged. Poor effing baby. Except she didn't write effing. Unquote. That's what she said. Now taking her at her word, two of the people in the in the recording booth didn't were were surprised by the way he behaved appalled as she says and one of them told her he'd never seen that kind of behavior out of pen with any of their guests on the podcast now she doesn't say who the two people are but if you listen to pen sunday school i think you might be able to figure out who they might be because there aren't too many people in the recording booth with Penn as he does his podcast. He does have two co-hosts, sometimes three. <laughs> um, it, it, for the longest time, it was just the two fellows. And uh, a third fellow has, uh, has begun to uh, chime in a little bit more. Now, I don't know if he sits in the recording booth with them. I have no idea how big the booth is. But that, again, you have to just take her at her word. I have no reason to believe that she would be lying about this. But, you know, and I and I did listen to that interview and I I did hear the the challenging being done and I did hear Penn being rather uh um uh challenging toward her. And as I think back on it, much more challenging than he has been with the people making the extraordinary claims. Uh and that's well, Everybody got a gree gree. We'll see if I keep listening to his podcast. I want to keep listening to his podcast. I don't want to give it up because I do really like it, and I do still really like Penn. I have a lot of respect for him, and I and that that's that's why I think so many of us skeptics are just are just so baffled of what's going on. You know, and one person in the thread. A Facebook friend of mine made a suggestion. She did a comparison to the magician from the 1970s, uh, Doug Henning. You remember him? He's kind of a hippie guy. He would wear rainbow-colored clothes and you know, had long hair and he had buck teeth and mustache, bushy mustache. And he, you know, he was kind of an oh wow kind of a magic kind of guy. Well, he started getting into the more uh, bullshitty ideas about transcendental meditation he was trying to learn how to levitate which if you ever see these these tm guys levitate they're not levitating they're hopping it's just that they they get themselves in the lotus position i think that's what it's called when you cross your legs over the way the you know the buddha sat or something and then they they hop from that now that's got to hurt like hell <laughs> and it's got to take some some strength and some practice so he was working on learning how to do that but that's not levitating you're just hopping there's no levitation in there. Levitating is getting off the ground and levitating. 
just hanging there for more than just whatever it takes to come back for gravity to take you back down. It's that's not levitating. And anyway, so Doug Henning, he also started off into the alternative medicine, alternative food kind of thing, uh, ideas, and the it's thought that he, he you know his early death, he died at age 52, I think. And it was was the what contributed to his early death was he he didn't go for actual medicine he went for alternative medicine, and she drew a, a parallel comparison to you know she's worried that Penn seems to be leaning in that it's just reminding her of that attitude that Doug Henning had this thing that toward his transcendental meditation and alternative medicine, that kind of stuff, is she's seeing some parallel with with Penn. I hope she's wrong. I really do. Okay, so that's another seg first segment of the show talking about Penn. I promise I won't talk about him uh, for the rest of the show. I can't promise I won't talk about him next week. <laughs> uh, I can also promise you that I'm going to my first break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Uh, I shall return after this break and talk about different stuff. I will. I promise I will. the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. This is Meryl Streep. There's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can. Colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Screening finds polyps so they can be removed before they turn into cancer. If you're over 50, get screened for colorectal cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Wait till you see the bike we got for Jake. It is the coolest thing. Hearing loss happens gradually with age, making it easy to ignore. Yet most older Americans aren't getting their hearing tested. Dad, can you hear me? Untreated hearing loss can keep your loved ones from enjoying what they cherish most. Don't let that happen. Speak up about hearing loss. You'll be glad you did. Brought to you by the American Speech Language Hearing Association. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, uh, well, it's been, I, you know, I should try to do one of these every week, but, you know, sometimes just don't have one for every week. But I do have one for this week. Here we go. Time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Oh boy, I get to tell you what they got wrong this time. Uh, This pedantic moment has to do with uh, Paul McCartney and the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I was listening to this, uh, the most recent episode of the Skeptic's Guide, and let me tell you, I always say this every time I bring it up, the Skeptic's Guide. If you don't listen to it, you really should. It's a it's a really good podcast, really good science podcast promoting that. It's fun. It, they're, the guys on that show are funny, uh, uh, and gal on the show are funny and smart and uh, knowledgeable, and they're good skeptics, and they've got a book coming out in October that uh, I've, I've, I've pre-ordered it. I'm going to get that book. It's probably going to be the next book I read. <laughs> and I guess, it, you know, and, and I'm hearing good things about it, so I'm looking forward to it a lot. And it's a really good podcast. And uh, the, the one gal on the show, her name is Kara uh, Santa Maria. And she's kind of a big deal. I mean, she's on TV. She does uh, science shows on TV. And she's she does another podcast other than... Um, uh, than uh, the SGU, and uh, she's, you know, she's, you, you might even recognize her if you see her, if, if you watch the science shows on TV, I, I, I don't know which ones in particular she's been on, but she's done several types of shows promoting science, and she's great, she's smart and funny, and she hangs in there really well with the guys, she's, she's a relatively, well, she's, uh, she's not new to the show anymore, but she's the newest member of the of the show, and uh, she's great, and she fits in really well, and she's a good. She's a little bit of a foil for the host, the main host of the show, Steve Novella. She's a little bit of a foil, but I mean, she'll challenge him. She doesn't. She's not afraid to challenge him when she has a differing opinion from him, and they and that's great. That's what you want, right? And uh, and Steve takes it really well, you know, and and it's it's. It's really good podcast. You should listen to it. And each week she does a segment called "What's the Word?" and she comes up. She finds some words. Some people suggest words to her, and she goes into what does the word mean and all that. Well, this past week, the work that she, or the word that she had was uh, uh, stylometry, and it has to do with uh, the study of an author's work, uh, the linguistics, linguistics of their work the way they use language and that kind of thing and what what can be done there and I think they've come up uh, well uh, there's a there's a computer program of some sort using algorithms and things algorithms where they they uh, uh, they, they put in the 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 known works of an author and study it for patterns and stuff like that and then they can take uh, 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 another work that is attributed to that same person and then check and see if the patterns hold up. Now, to the SGU's credit, they didn't say it was exact science. They said it's, it's there's wiggle room in there, and it's it's okay science at this level. It's okay, uh, you know, but it's interesting. And she uh, was using the angle to talk about the Beatles. 
and uh, the, the songwriting team of, of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And she brought up that uh, there's, a, there's a group of scientists that are, are big Beatles fans, and they wanted to settle, see if they could figure out if they could settle a, a, a dispute uh, about who wrote a particular song. And, and she said, okay, so the song is A Day in the Life, which is the closing track on the, the, the Beatles' uh, magnum opus album, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Did you know that not a single single was released from that album? There was no single for that album? It was referred to as the 41-minute single because the, they, they considered the whole, whole album to be a single. They didn't release a song as a single. They did release, before the album came out, uh, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever as singles. Uh, sort of to you know just to keep you know songs out in the public as they were working on on Sergeant Pepper's. All right, so so it, it, this this group you know used uh, the, the this computer program to figure out who wrote that song, and I, I'm listening. I thought well, it's you know it, they, well the results came back at point zero one eight percent chance that Paul wrote it. I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, there is, there is an easy way to tell which of the two wrote a particular song that's credited to Lennon and McCartney. Now, you uh, may not know this, but uh, Beatles fans know this. Early in their career in the Beatles, and Paul and John being the, the primary songwriters for the band, early on, the two of them agreed that every song that that they write. The two of them either write together, you know, sit down and hammer out a song together at the same, you know, right like that way, or any song that uh, they write separately but bring to each other to say, what do you think of this? And the other one adds something or says, take that part out, or how about if we do this, or says, that's great. You know, no matter how that collaboration takes place, every song that Paul writes and John writes whether they work together at all or, or, or not at all, are considered to be Lennon-McCartney com compositions. Because I'm not sure exactly why they decided that. I would think it'd be just so that you know there's no fighting over who gets credit for writing the songs. You know they, they you know and 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 Paul would talk about you know how John you know contributed to some of the songs. You know in the early part of their career, writing they did sit and write together. They wrote "She Loves You." together in Paul's house. I was talking about it last week and one of the cool things. They, 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 in Paul's, uh, in the house he was living in with his, with his dad, they, they sat in a, in a room and the two of them wrote the song together and then they went out and played the song for, their, for, for Paul's dad and his dad made some suggestions. It's kind of funny. But uh, you can go back and watch the video. I don't want to give it away. But, and, then, and then as time went on and they grew as artists, they began to work separately more often, and then bring the songs to each other to see what the other thought. So when Paul was working on Hey Jude, he says uh, there was a moment in that song where he's, uh, he's playing it for John, and he gets to the line, the movement you need is on your shoulder, and then Paul immediately says to John, says, I'm, 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 I'm going to change that. And John says, no, no, don't. That's, that's the best line in the song. 
And Paul says, well, it doesn't really mean anything. And he says, oh, no, I know what it means. And so that's how, you know, and, and, and then Paul also tells the story about how uh, they, when Paul was writing the song, it's getting better. And he says, John is sort of strumming along on a guitar, and Paul's playing on the piano, and he says, I have to admit, it's getting better, it's getting better all the time. And John says, can't get much worse. And, and he says, oh, write that down. <laughs> because it's just, he says, that's John. That's John's contribution. Okay. So the way you could tell, the easy way you could tell which of the two wrote the song is who sings it. Because that's, that's pretty much how they split it up. Now, there was Yellow Submarine, which was sung by Ringo, but that was written by John and Paul. Uh, now, George wrote his own songs, and, and he got his sol solo credit for writing those songs. Uh, even Ringo wrote a couple of songs uh, uh, for the band, and uh, he gets credited as writing the songs as Richard Starkey, because that's his actual name. But um, it, for John and Paul, it was always Lennon McCartney. Lennon McCartney. So this idea that you couldn't that they would need to use a computer algorithm to figure out who wrote a day in the life well it's it's obvious uh, John wrote the the opening part and the closing part and Paul wrote the middle part woke up got out of bed dragged the comb across my head found my way downstairs and drank a cup and looking up I noticed that it was late dump 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 yeah that's that's Paul and Paul sings it. It's not just the fact that he sings it, but that's Paul. That sounds like Paul. He has a bouncy style of writing songs when he's writing pop stuff. He's just the more poppy stuff of theirs. You know, Obladi Oblada, uh, Lady Madonna. You know, Penny Lane. There's a there's a bounciness to it. Not that John couldn't do a bouncy bouncy stuff. Uh, good morning, good morning, off of uh, Sergeant Pepper's. Uh, that has a bounce to it, and I'm pretty sure John wrote that one. And you know, but John would write the more morose and melancholy type stuff. So you know, across the universe has that sort of a, a feel to it, and it, that, that matches up with the 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 beginning part and the end part. You know, I read the news today. Oh boy, I'd love to turn you on. And then it goes to the middle part, and then Paul comes in, and then goes to the end part, and I'd love to turn you on. And it's supposed to end with the note disappearing into infinity. That's what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to just fade, 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 fade out. And on vinyl, that works. But when the album went to uh, onto CD, uh, I think it was Paul was talking about it. Said he was disappointed that you could hear the cut of the note. You know, if you had the volume up enough and you're listening to it fade out, it doesn't just disappear. You can hear where it just kind of cuts. And you know, but that's what they wanted it to be. That just that note going out to infinity. And, uh, and, it's a, and it's a great song. It's one of the best songs that the Beatles uh, have, you know, at least in my opinion. I really, like, I really like the song A Day in the Life, and it's a combination of Paul and John writing together. So, you know, it's, it, so it's, I don't know why they would have to put it through the algorithm thing. You can just, there it is. It's right laid out. It's easy. And right now, if you know anything about this story, you're probably going a little crazy. Because what I just went through, that isn't the pedantic moment. No, no. The pedantic moment is coming now. The pedantic moment is, Cara Santa Maria did not say the song was A Day in the Life. I misheard it. She said, in my life. In my life, I've loved you more. Something like that, or loved you all, or whatever the line goes. That's the song. 
that has the dispute. And I went, oh yeah, that's John. <laughs> but here's the thing, because that's, that's John all over it. You just listen to those lyrics. It's, John. it's a very touching song. And in fact, there's a movie, I think it's called For the Boys. I think that's what it's called. And it stars Betty Davis, and she's playing a character that's loosely based on Martha Ray. In fact, I think Martha Ray sued the production company because they didn't say it was her. Uh, but uh, Mar uh, uh, Bette Midler is playing this this Martha Ray type character and in part of what she does in the movie is she entertains the troops during Vietnam and there's a scene in which she's singing in my life and I saw I haven't seen the entire movie but I saw that part of it I was at the bar or something like that and I thought that that hearing her sing it really drove home just how touching that song is it just it just how you know heartfelt it is and then when you hear the Beatles version of it you I, I get it you know you know, when I would hear the Beatles version after that, I get it. I, I it, 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 it occurs to me there too. But it took Ben Miller singing it to be, well, yeah, huh. But to see, here's the thing though, and this is a little pedantic toward the SGU and Takara, because the way she talked about this experiment that they did with the song to determine whether Paul wrote it or not to settle the dispute the way she set it up had me thinking and I'm sure a lot of her listeners thinking lyrics the dispute wasn't the lyrics the dispute the dispute was the music to the song she said leading into it you know they use this this uh, this uh, 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 stylometry and the computer program stuff and all that they use this to determine you know they've used it to figure out who the Unabomber is uh, to determine if uh, writings attributed to uh, Shakespeare were written by Shakespeare and to determine who might have written the Bible or which sections of the Bible were written by which authors that that kind of thing because they would use that and so that's all text that's all language it's not music so when I looked up the Paul McCartney project, and I'll link to this on the show notes, when I looked that up, uh, they, it, they said it was the music that Paul was talking about uh, that they were looking into. Um, this is an excerpt from a book called uh, Many Years From Now by Barry Miles. And this is Paul talking about his recollection of the writing of the song in, in my life. I arrived at John's house for a writing session, and he had all the very nice opening stanzas of the song. As many of our songs were, it was the first pangs of nostalgia for Liverpool. As, long, as I recall, he didn't have a tune to it, and my, relection, I, my recollection, I think, is at variance with John's. I said, well, you haven't got a tune. Let me just go and work on it. And I went down to the uh, half landing where John had a Mellotron, and I sat there and put together a tune based in my mind on Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. I recall writing the whole melody, and it actually does sound very like me if you analyze it. I was obviously working to the lyrics. The melody's structure is very me. So my recollection is saying to John, just go and have a cup of tea or something. Let me be with this for 10 minutes on my own, and I'll do it. I tried to keep it melodic, but in a bluesy, uh, in a bit bluesy, 
but a bit bluesy, sorry, uh, with the minors and little harmonies. And then my recollection is going back up into the room and saying, got it, great, good tune, I think. Well, what do you think? John said, nice. And we continued working with it from then, using that melody and filling out the rest of the verses. So it was John's original inspiration. I think my melody. I think my guitar riff. I don't want to be categorical about this, but that's my recollection. I find it very gratifying that out of everything we wrote, we only appear to disagree over two songs. I don't know what the second song is, but that's what Paul said about the song in my life. Best to his recollection is he wrote the melody. Now, this program apparently works with music. And I suppose that makes sense. Music is a bunch of math and I, I suppose there's patterns and stuff like that. Is there enough music? Is there enough words to be able to determine who wrote lyrics and who wrote, wrote music to Beatles songs? Are there, is there enough to do it? Hmm, I don't know. And so that's part of the limitation. But when they did it for the music, that's where they got the the 0.018% chance that Paul did it. So there you go. <laughs> that's the pedantic moment. I was wrong. I had the wrong song. And the SGU did sort of lead us into thinking that it was Paul writing the lyrics when it's obvious from the lyrics that what Paul wrote. Uh, I've got another little bit about Paul when I come back, but I'm going to take the take the break uh, right here. So you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'll return with just a little bit more about Paul. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Z Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Hey, I almost forgot. It's it's time for... It's quiz time on Dimland Radio. Everybody got your pens ready? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question here. It's a multiple choice answer. Uh, can you name the person who said this? That's why I don't eat friggin' lobster or anything like that. Because they're alive when you kill it. Was that A, Mahatma Gandhi... B. Jane Goodall C. Albert Einstein or D. Snooky This has been Quiz Time on Dimland Radio.
This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Paul McCartney. You would think I would have put in the bumpers some Paul McCartney songs. You would have thought I would have done that. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I zigged when you zagged. Huh? You know, I, I don't want to be that predictable. So when I was looking at, you know, when I was so incensed that that uh, the idea that people didn't, that the SGU and this Paul McCartney project couldn't figure out which, you know, that Paul wrote the middle section of In a, in a, a Day in the Life, you know, when I was so incensed that, that they couldn't figure that out, a memory popped back into my head. This is when I was doing research about this. Because, you know, I was, I was doing the research and uh, I replayed, that's when I found that I was wrong. I, I replayed the, uh, the bit on the SGU, and she said, in my life, and I went, uh-oh. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'm still going to set it up the way I just did it. You know, set it up and get all upset and then get people who I'm sure would know the story because it was kind of a big story on the Internet. So there was lots of uh, Google hits when I was doing the research for tonight's show. And anyway, so... Um, before I got to that, I looked for because there was a memory jogged immediately when she was talking about the disputation of uh, of Paul writing uh, any part of a day in the life. Well, of course, that's not what she said, but that's what I heard. Uh, so I look. I remembered that uh, way back when uh, Bob Costas used to have a talk show, an interview show that would air after Late Night with David Letterman in the late 80s into the 90s. And uh, it, it, he did a two-part show, a two, you know, it was a half-hour show. He did two back-to-back you know, back -back shows. Um, well, you know, it'd be one show a night, right? So, and it was five nights a week, 30 minutes long, uh, and and he'd, most of the time it'd just be a guest for 30 minutes in long-form interview, and Bob Custis was really good at it. It was really good. Later it was really good, and it should have kept going for longer than it did, but I think, I don't know, I think Custis didn't want to do it anymore. But um, um, what they, they would do sometimes, sometimes they would book it ahead of time to do two shows in a row because it was a big-time guest and they had a lot to talk about. But sometimes they would call an audible while they're doing it. You know what? Do you want? You know they wouldn't say it on the air. I don't think. But uh, they would. Uh, Bob would announce. You know we're gonna we're gonna do another half hour. 
we're gonna you know we're gonna do more so I don't know how that worked out with Paul whether it was decided to do it ahead of time or if it was decided that hey we've got enough to do another half hour do you want to stick around well okay so so that happened in 1991 and I watched it as it aired because I was a big Letterman fan back in those days and uh, and so I would watch later afterward and I was a fan of Paul McCartney's and the Beatles, so what the hell? And it's a lot of talk about the Beatles. And in fact, it's one of the it's the, it's uh, it's one of the cool things that I'll talk about at the end of the show. Uh, it, there is the video. There's a YouTube video of the entire interview. Now they cut out the commercials. They cut out any of the music clips that they would intersperse in there. But it's just Bob and Paul talking. And the memory that came to my mind was that on that show, in that interview. Bob talked to, to Paul about uh, Beatles songs being used in commercials to sell products. And at the time, the song Revolution was being used to sell Nike shoes. And Paul said he didn't like it. And Bob set it up by, by the uncomfortable revelation that Paul didn't own the Beatles music anymore. He might have owned some stuff, but I don't think he owned the entire catalog anymore. Michael Jackson owned the catalog. Michael Jackson didn't give a shit if a song was used in a commercial. He wanted the money. Sorry to speak ill of the dead, but he died on the same day as Farrah Fawcett, and he took her day away from her. Asshole. Anyway. <clears throat> I, I, I hold no grudges. I'm sure he would have wanted to still be alive. Pharaoh would too, but crying out loud, if you're going to die, can't you wait a week? <laughs> Let Pharaoh have her day. She was all set up to have a day. She was all set. She was all set and ready to have her day. The news media was going to just do a big thing, and then a couple hours later, Michael Jackson dies, and <laughs> forget Pharaoh. <sighs> anyway. Paul, <laughs> uh, you could see he was not happy about a bit not, not happy about the situation he was being polite and answered the question he said yeah mm -hmm. you could see it and then bob uh brought out they talked about the nike ad and bob brought out a, a rolling stone magazine so i just saw this this magazine the latest one that's out and there's a full page ad for maxwell house and the the ad has a, a simple illustration in there that shows uh, two coffee rings set just so and a couple of other lines drawn off of it, so it looks like John's glasses. He has the he had the, the circle glasses, wire rim things, and underneath the glasses or the illustration of the of the you know that they did uh, are the lyrics. Woke up, got out of bed, dragged the comb across my head, found my way downstairs, and drank a cup, and then it attributes it to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And Paul is just like, oh, there it is. Look at that, huh? And he says something like "cheap and nasty" or something. And then he says, uh, he, he, he says uh, that the that uh, Maxwell House should know that you know the composer of the song. And he says, and I, those are my words, or those are my lyrics, or however he puts it. Um, you know, is not happy that this song is being used. And and he, he says, I got to think that Maxwell House will not be happy that the composer is not happy that his song is being used to advertise. And that was a big thing for a long time, through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, that uh, uh, 
you know, musical, you know, artists, pop artists and rock artists would, you know, not, don't let your songs be used in commercials. Don't sell out, man. I mean, The Who even did an album called The Who Sell Out. And, you know, it's it's all about doing commercials and things like that. And um, that was, you know, it's crucial that it remain art, is what some, something Townsend said when he was younger. But the attitudes have changed. And and, uh, and in, in the 80s, Neil Young wrote a song, This Notes for You, uh, decrying you know, people like uh, Eric Clapton allowing his songs to be used in beer ads and, and all this kind of stuff. So it started to, to be a, a, a thing that uh, the, the artists would start sni sniping at each other that the ones that would allow their songs to be used. Well, Paul wasn't allowing his song to be used. It was Michael Jackson who, as I said, doesn't give a shit, and he died on the same day as Farron took her day away. But I've already mentioned that. And um, the uh, so uh, that's it's, so it's a fascinating interview. You should check it out. So it is one of the cool things that I'm going to talk about in momentarily. So it's um, uh, today it's a lot different. And Paul did in the conversation. You'll you'll you hear it if you watch it. He does kind of leave the door open that well he might change his mind. <laughs> <laughs> it might be different in the future. I don't know. He's something like that. So, okay. Uh, I might as well skip all the rest of the stuff I was going to talk about because I'm getting down in there in time. Um, I've got three cool things to uh, to add to, to tell you. Uh, one of them is that, well, always after the second Thursday of the month uh, when I do my show, I'm going to say that I met, uh, met up with the Minnesota Skeptics and I always enjoy that night. I look forward to it each month. And I tell you, getting there, though, we're, we're, we've gone to a new location because, uh, well, uh, the, the other place that, uh, um, that we went to um, uh, shut down. And so we had to find a new location altogether. And uh, so uh, we found one. It's another part of town. And it was just, you know, the, the traffic, it just started to work itself out. The road construction, it just finally started to get to an end so it's easier to get to this one. So we've got a new place, more road construction. I'm telling you. You know, you go, it's, I get there and it's, a, it's during rush hour. So the traffic is a little... You know, it gets a little thick in certain spots, but it's not too bad. This last time I was kind of sailing there, and um, and I get to the last half mile. The last half mile, there's a bridge out. The last half mile takes 15 minutes because I got to go around and around and around and around and around <laughs> with all the other traffic, you know. And the bridge is out, and it's probably going to be out for another 20 years. So I'm going to have to be dealing with it, but I'll deal with it. And when I finally got there. It was nice to be there. There was a few new folks there. I met some nice ones and had a nice talk with them. And I hope they come back. We always hope they come back. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But uh, you know, I came back. I wasn't showed up as a newbie. But and I haven't stopped going. Uh, missed maybe one or two. But uh, you know, well, I, I, and I think they don't mind it. They like to poke fun at me though. <laughs> but I think that's just how it is. Uh, and let's see, number two. Um, Find I found more artwork. Remember that I talked about this art bin, this bin with Jim's art stuff in it, and I found that comic book page and all that. I've been finding more of my artwork in there that I didn't necessarily think was lost, but it was cool to find again. So oh yeah, and so I put up another couple pieces on Facebook. I'll be putting up stuff on Facebook when I get around to scanning it or taking pictures. And there were two pencil drawings that I did in art school 32 years ago. 
32 years ago. <laughs> All pencil, um, still life drawings done from a photograph. Um, it, you know, it was, it was an advanced drawing class, and you we you, we were working from photographs. The first semester, you're going to draw two images. You got two. You got a photograph for the first half of the semester, and another photograph for the second half of the semester, and that's and everybody worked from the same pictures. And the same thing was going for the third semester, except the third photograph was a little too complex. It was or very complex. I shouldn't say too complex, but it was very complex, and was taking us a lot of time. So the instructor said, "Well, okay, if you if you if you want to spend the whole semester working on it, that's fine. It won't affect your grade as long as you get it done right and you know do as best you can and all that." Um, I wasn't able to get a picture of that up because my parents have it. I'll try to get a picture of that and put it on Facebook. Uh, and then again, you know, for the second week in a row. There's a cool thing. At least I think it's the second week in a row, isn't it? Uh, yes. Second week in a row, a cool thing about Paul McCartney. As I mentioned, his uh, uh, interview on later with Bob Costas, I will link it on the show notes. Go to dimland.com and click on the show notes uh, uh, on the blog option of the page. You'll get to the show notes and uh, check it out. You'll see the video. It's really cool. Good night, Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, that means I made it to the end of another show. Um, uh, oh, and I hope at least three cool things have happened to you this week. I sometimes forget to say that at the, at the wrap-up. Anyway, so be skeptical. And extraordinary claims, of course, require extraordinary evidence. Uh, I'll try not to talk about Penn next week, but we'll see. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network, and I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you all to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What? 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 Well, well I'm going to hell. Look at that. I got it done in less than an hour. Wow! I don't know how long it's been since that's happened. I better shut up so it doesn't go over an hour.